All righty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 49 of the Doctrines of Rad. I am one of your hosts. I am Drew. Uh, Logan is at a parade this evening, so uh, as per usual, Logan misses all the fun stuff. Uh, I am joined uh, by a guy that I'm, I'm actually very excited to talk to tonight. Um, he is a constitutional lawyer, a military lawyer who represents many uh, folks that are dealing with uh, some wrongdoings from the uh, the current administration and probably the DOD uh, specifically. He is Davis Yance. Davis, welcome, my friend. I'm happy to have you here. Hey, thanks, brother. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, same here. So tell me a little bit about uh, you and, um, you know, if somebody doesn't know you or they're experiencing you for the first time, um, who who are you? What do you do? Yeah, so um, first of all, I am I'm a Christian uh, husband, a father of two amazing girls that we homeschool, um, and so that's uh, that's the priority in my life right there is 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 the family. Um, for work, I've been blessed to be a, an attorney. I was in law school um, when 9/11 happened. So uh, wow. September 11th, 9/11, I was in law school. My second year of law school. Because of that, I decided it was uh, my time to join and serve. So I did. So I went um, into the Air Force as a JAG, um, served as commission officer on active duty for 11 years. Uh, then and continued. Oh. So I retired from the reserves as a lieutenant colonel JAG in uh, December of uh, 2022. Man, that is awesome. So tell me a little bit more about how. Uh, Obviously, you you felt the call to serve after 9-11. I know a lot of people did. Um, I actually happened, I was in the Navy at the time when 9-11 hit. Um, what was that call like for you? Was it more of a, a duty to country? Was it, uh, you know, walk me through what your thoughts were when you joined. Yeah, when I joined, I would, I, I, I laugh because I kind of make fun of myself sometimes, but I, I sort of uh, thought of myself as a true believer. In other words, I just, you know, child of the 80s, I would say, you know, America, America, let's go. So, you know, I, I knew we were going to go to war. I knew we were fighting back. And regardless of what that looked like, I felt like, you know, I, it was my turn to serve. Both of my grandparents had served one in World War II, one in Korea. So I thought, wow, this is this is my chance. This is my opportunity. So in some respects, as a Christian, I think I entered into it. Um, a bit naive, to be honest, um, and I'm not mm. sure, you know, where where God's hand was in that. I see it now, um, but I'm not sure I handled it all that maturely. I think it was just more child of the '80s. You know, it, it's our time to go. I'm going to go. That's interesting. So, in the JAG thing, um, did you have to finish school before going in as a JAG, or was that kind of like uh, the promise of you? We will help pay for the rest of it. You come in and and uh, complete your your qualifications or certifications, whatever you needed to do. Yeah. So there's kind of two ways to do it. Um, there's officers that are already serving the military and they can get accepted into a program where the military will pay for law school. Others like me, it's you, you bring that skill set with you to the military. So you finish your law degree first and then it enables you to be attractive to it. So um, at that time, it was very competitive to get into the Air Force JAG course. So I was told by a recruiter that the best way to do what you want to do is finish law school, get your license and go in then. So I was accepted into the program before I graduated. And then what I had to do was pass the bar and then go to officer training. Oh, okay, cool. So while you were in, uh, how many years total did you do? 
So I did 11 years active and then a total of nine in the guard and reserves. So I did 20. Now, how much when you're in the guard uh, as a JAG, do you, are, are you involved very much or, or is it more just kind of like uh, when you do your, especially in the officer corps, cause I was enlisted side. So it's a little bit different uh, for us. What were your expectations in the guard uh, as a JAG officer? You know, the, the guard was actually very busy. Um, you know, one of the things that's happened with time over uh, with the guard is there's often domestic operations that need to be done. So like I was the, the senior JAG for an installation that had a Reaper drones and also a cyber warfare unit. So they were actually doing operations 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, including combat operations where people were sitting, you know, in Pennsylvania, uh, flying drones over the Middle East, dropping bombs and all of that. So because of that active mission, it was actually a lot more than just one weekend a month for me wow. as, the, as the senior. So it was a lot of work. Yeah, actually, it sound, sounds like it's less uh, reserve and really just kind of almost like a part time job uh, doing that. So that's cool, man. Um, tell me about how you uh, got involved, really, like because you could have easily after being in, in the JAG Corps, could have just gone to do civilian stuff and really stayed away from the military side. Did you feel specifically called by the Lord to to represent fellow servicemen or did you fall into that? Was it kind of accidental or was it on purpose? Well, that's a great question. So, you know, I would I would begin by sharing this. You know, when I was in undergrad, I went to Liberty University for undergrad. And um, during that time, I, I wasn't sure what God was calling me to do as I was there. I was a, a pre-law major going into undergrad. Um, and there was a time, particularly my sophomore year, I thought maybe God is calling me into full-time ministry. Um, oh. But there, there was a moment I, I just didn't have peace, right? I didn't have peace about what I was supposed to do. So I remember I, I planned on changing my major. Um, I filled out the paperwork. I was going to go to the registrar's office. And it was kind of the last day to do it as I was a, a sophomore. And I went to college class. And in that class, I had a student that um, asked for prayer because there was a pastor back in her hometown that she knew that needed a Christian attorney to represent him in, in criminal case. It was false allegations in a criminal case. And they were having oh. a really hard time finding Christian attorneys. And that mm. moment was just kind of funny. It's one of those things because I look around the room and every other male at Liberty University in that class at the time, every single male in that room was a pastoral studies major, right? Besides me, I was the only pre-law one. And in that moment, I just had this tremendous piece of like, no, keep going the law school route. God's going to use you in that. There's going to be something, there's a plan that God has. So fast forward, I went into the military. I was naive in some respects when I did it. I served. All I ever wanted to do was be a prosecutor, right? All I ever wanted to do was wear the white hat, go in, be you know, law and order, truth and justice, and all of that. Um, in the Air Force, you understand how the military works. After I'd been a prosecutor at two installations, they said, hey, it's time for you to do a tour as a defense attorney. Um, wow. And it was the only way I was going to stay in the courtroom, which is what I love. So I was um, forced basically into providing uh, criminal defense to military members. And about six months into that job, um, God just kind of changed my heart towards it. And I, I think now looking back, I would have a difficult time ever being a prosecutor again. Um, I wow. found doing defense work so rewarding um, and such an interesting opportunity to share the gospel and and help people through difficult times and it, and it's funny to me because it always goes back to that moment in that class in undergrad where it was like well, what someone needed was a defense attorney and yet you know i was like oh, i'm going to be a prosecutor i'm going to 
you know, do all of those things. So really from that time forward, I went from being a, a defense attorney at the United States Air Force Academy. And then I became what the Air Force called a senior defense attorney. So I supervised and handled uh, felony level cases for the Air Force in Texas. And from there, I went and I taught at the Air Force JAG school. That was my last job deployed. And then my last job was at the Air Force JAG school. And so when I got out, when I got off of active duty, I, I worked for the guard some, but I knew eventually what I was going to be doing was criminal defense work. And obviously, because of my experience and just everything I've done, my heart was for military members, because um, as you know, military members are unique. So I get to be a criminal defense attorney where 99 out of 100 times my clients are not career offenders or repeat, repeat criminals, because that's not how it works in the military. So you don't have third time felons in the military. It gets handled the first time um, if they're you know, actually criminal. So I have amazing clients in that regard. So I thoroughly enjoy what I've been able to do. So I've been private in private practice doing that since 2015. And then in 2019, I started my own law firm and really turned my focus to a lot more religious freedom, constitutional mm -hmm. issues, but continue most of what I do is related to uh, representing military members. Man, that is, uh, that is such a it really seems like a high calling, man. I, I, I just, in the world today and how everything, I mean, gosh, you didn't even know that COVID was going to hit in 2020 and all of the crazy mandates, like that's got to have, that has to have kept you busy uh, in regard to defending people that were wrongfully discharged. Uh, I know that that has been some of what you've done. Um, was there a, was there a ramp up of that with, um, post covid um is it you see there was um there was uh recently i i read that some folks are getting letters to you know asking them hey will you come back you know we right. we saw that you were discharged will you come back like how does that work for um i mean do you even see a lot of people doing that i i guess i'm asking like several questions here but yeah right. i wouldn't do it no, 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 absolutely not. Right. And, and and so, yeah, there's there's a few things out there. We'll kind of start at the end and, and go back through it. But, yeah, what's happened over the last couple of weeks is the Army, the Army did it. And now the Air Force has done it where they have invited people that were kicked out over the COVID mandate to come back in and serve. And they're doing it. You'll appreciate this because you serve. They're doing it with a form letter. It doesn't even identify your name. It just says to whom it may concern. Uh, please consider returning and serving in the military. This is a great time for you to do it. There's no more COVID mandate. And then wow. it says, yes, we recognize that your DD-214, that is your military separation paperwork, says that you committed uh, misconduct. You were kicked out for committing misconduct. And a lot of these people got a general discharge. So not even an honorable discharge. So that's not fixed. But hey, come back in and serve some more. Um, we won't do this again. We promise. Right. So. Right. Uh, <laughs> so that's that piece. But you know, just to, to unwind a couple other thoughts too. So I, I started my own law firm in, in 2019. So imagine the timing of this, right? So wow, I started yeah. my own law firm, go out on my own in December of 2019, right before COVID hits. And, um, you know, so worst time ever to start a small business, I would suppose, <laughs> especially where I travel all over the world, all over the United States. I'm in Colorado um, today, uh, representing a soldier at Fort Carson. Um, you know, and, and what was wild is God had a plan. He tremendously blessed it. I was able to do a lot of things administratively, help military members correct their records and do things I would not have done, wouldn't have felt like I had time to do if it wasn't for COVID. So it was just an amazing blessing and learning process for me. 
Well, fast forward into COVID, um, as COVID came out and as it looked like the military might end up imposing a mandate on service members, I was struggling myself with what, you know, what I felt my convictions were from a faith perspective and really struggling with what I was going to do about COVID. And I, listen, you get it. I served. That was going on 19 years. Um, by the time the mandate came out, I was just shy of 19 years when the mandate was imposed. But I, I'd gotten the anthrax vaccine. I'd gotten other vaccines before I deployed. Um, and again, maybe I was naive. But when this vaccine was coming in the ramp up, the first thing I realized that really convicted me is that this vaccine was tested and developed using aborted fetal cell tissue. Right. And I started really thinking about that. And I felt like for me, there's no way I could honor God in going along with that once I knew that was the case, because I felt for me, if I'm, if I'm partaking in that vaccine, then in some way, perhaps I'm contributing to the demand for more fetal cell testing and all of that. So that was deeply troubling to me. And then the other piece of this just was the way our government was acting, um, the tyranny that they were trying to impose on military members, uh, really, really, and the public, right, really bothered me as a JAG, as a constitutional attorney. So I became convicted that I was going to need to take a stand even if that meant um, not even getting to a reserve retirement after 19 years of service, I was convinced wow. that was what I was going to do. So for me personally, it was kind of, it was a hard time and it was a lonely time. So just imagine, you know, um, I was somewhat isolated because I was a reservist and I didn't have a lot of people around me that necessarily felt the way that I did. I had mm -hmm. a few friends, one other JAG um, that felt like I did that I knew well from my active duty time. So we would talk, but we felt isolated. Um, and then the mandate came out. And so the mandate came, this is mandatory. You have to do it. You have a very limited period of time to submit a religious accommodation request or a medical exemption. Um, but, but that's what happened. So for me personally, where it changed dramatically for me and, and where I saw God being able to use me was I got a phone call. Okay. So the mandate comes down a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call at 1145 at night. That was from a friend, a constitutional attorney named Bradley Pierce. He's head of um, In Abortion, Texas. Great yep. guy. Great uh, guy. He also runs, there also runs Heritage Defense, which is a program for homeschoolers to protect uh, homeschool parents' rights. So I met Bradley only a couple months before that summer at a homeschool conference. We homeschool our daughter. So I talked to him and then I'd done a couple of cases with him in Pennsylvania protecting Christian homeschool families from CBS, Child Protective Services Overreach. But anyway. Bradley called me at 1145 at night and he said, listen, there's a group of Navy SEALs on the East Coast that are being told, I think they're being told if they don't get the vaccine tomorrow, they're all going to be court martialed. And I didn't know who to call. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to call you. So I talked to wow. him for a few minutes and he goes, look, hey, um, on Friday, Pastor Jeff Durbin from Apollo, um, Luke Pearson from Apology of Church, another pastor and I are all going to be on the East coast, meeting with these SEAL teams and talking to these guys that don't know what to do. He's like, can you come? And, mm. and God works these things out. I was already planning to be there at the location where they're at because my brother serves wow. in the Navy as a fighter pilot. And I was going to right see on. him before he deployed. So I was already planning to be there um, this timing. So that's what God had worked out. So all of us got together, we met with these Navy SEALs. And at the end of that meeting was we needed to buy time for these guys and we needed to come up with legal solutions. We needed to come up with ways for people to understand, hey, there's a lot more military members than anyone knows, even I knew or understood, that are concerned about what's happening, not just about the vaccine, but also just the tyranny, the government overreach that was happening. So out of that, that was a Friday. 
by Monday evening, I had the opportunity to be on the Tucker Carlson show and be Pastor Jeff Durbin. And I became the spokesperson, spokespeople for these Navy SEALs because they couldn't speak out for themselves. They were being threatened yeah. with mutiny and other things. And so that's kind of how my public involvement um, happened as far as the vaccine mandates go. And so since that time, I've had tremendous opportunities to be able to be involved and advocate for mil military members. And it really has opened up a lot of um, religious freedom and other issues that have been really, really rewarding to be a part of. Man, that is a, that's a wild ride, man. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, it was not, you know, that's how God works, right? It was not anything I thought I was prepared for. Not anything I thought, you know, God would call me to do even just the idea of like, being on you know tucker carlson show so they pick me up at my house yeah tv studio the the weirdest part was like you don't even know when you go on something like that you don't even know what it's going to be like i had no idea no exposure so they had someone yeah. do makeup for me doing all these things and then what i didn't realize is i'm sitting there in front of a camera but i can't see him oh wow i can't see him at all i just hear him talking in the you know um, in the microphone or the, the headset I was wearing, the earbud I was wearing, I just hear him talking. So I'm talking. I can't see him at all. I can't see his facial reactions or anything else. Um, it was wild. So when it was done, I had no idea what I'd said. I was just like, I asked my wife, I'm like, did I sound like an idiot? I have, I have no recollection <laughs> of what I said. So, man. And I, yeah, and I've seen you on, uh, I saw you did a couple things on OAN uh, recently. Um, that's, I mean, boy, I tell you, as a, uh, as a hopeful Christian nationalist in, in my own right, um, seeing, seeing these fruit, uh, coming to, you know, or these, I'd say coming into fruition with, uh, brothers and sisters that are, are actually standing up to say, Hey, you know, God is our King. We're going to serve him first. We're going to put him first. Um, and we're going to do that you know, in, in the legal system as well. Uh, I mean, man, we're everywhere. I mean, <laughs> it's what a blessing to be like Christians are, uh, I think we're finally, we're hitting a point. Uh, and I've said this many times before, um, we're just kind of, I think we hit our tipping point. I think a lot of Christians kind of got to where we're like, uh, I've had enough. Um, I've, I've, I've come to this conclusion that uh, we're, you know, like Aaron Wren like uh, put out, you know, we're we're no longer in neutral world. We're not in positive world anymore. We're in negative world, and um, and so if we're going to be in negative world, well, you know, let's let's stand up for ourselves. Let's speak the truth. Let's be uh, very transparent um, and and not be afraid of pushback because really Jesus says that we're going to get. The hate we're going to get the pushback just by our our nature of who we are in Christ. So, um, you know, we can't live any more afraid of what the world is going to think when it comes to uh, holding God's standards in our country. Um, particularly while we still have the Constitution and the legal system that we have, uh, we should absolutely hold people to that. Um, and you're probably uh, you're probably just finding. I mean, I, I I know everybody's worldview is 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 uh, influenced by uh, where they are, what they've done, what they've seen. Uh, do you feel hopeful for 
Christianity in general? I know a lot of people have kind of this negative, like, oh, you know, and obviously there are people that believe that we, you know, we're going to lose down here and things are going to get worse and whatever. But in the industry that you're in, seeing the changes or the effects of what you're doing, um, does that bring hope or are you still kind of waiting to see? Like, what what are your thoughts there towards the future? Yeah, you know, there's there's so much I could talk on that. So, you know, I grew up in uh, conservative, independent, fundamentalist, Baptist churches primarily. Wow. Right? I sort okay. of grew up uh, dispensational, went to Liberty University and, and all of that. And it was only over time that I became more and more reformed. And now, you know, I'm I'm a, you know, a theonomist, a post-mill theonomist. I'm an abolitionist. I'm, I'm all of those things and, and, and love the conversation we're having about Christian nationalism and what that means and how we define yes. it. I think it's super helpful. But even more than that, you know, for me, uh, there's always certain things that happen in our lives. But I, I will say COVID was a huge changing point for me because I was I was reformed. I was studying theonomy. I was studying some of these other things. And really, I wasn't I wasn't uh, all the way post mill yet. Right. I was just sort of working through it. And COVID happened and so many things happened during that. And I just I spent more time in study and prayer. And I really became um the optimism of, of being post mill for me was was very powerful and just feeling like that's the way we should be waking up in the morning, ready to be happy warriors for Christ and go out mm. and spread the message and mm. not limit ourselves to just, you know, Sunday morning church. But at that time when COVID started, I was a pastor elder at, at my church. Um, and very, very quickly, I began to see, oh, wow, you know, th- these these guys don't even want to talk about spheres of authority. They don't even want to talk about the possibility of pushing back. Um, so it was a very difficult time. There mm. were some that were with me and we entered into some, some really appropriate compromises. So I don't want to speak ill of those guys in that it, it wasn't that they weren't willing to do it. So we did all kinds of interesting things. We had outside services at our church. We had, you know, we had at one point we had three services. So we had a fully masked service. Then we had a mm-hmm. restaurant mask service and we had a third service where um, come as you will. No, don't worry about whether or not you're wearing a mask. At one point, that's what we did. Um, so all of that was interesting. But what came out of that was um, I realized very quickly that the majority of the pastor elders at our church didn't even want to engage, didn't even want to talk about how to engage well with culture um, or politics. You know, they would say things like, well, I just don't even have time to think about what a you know Christian a view of, of political philosophy would be or other things. So, wow. you know, it ended up in a point where I, I pushed hard for a while and and we all came to an agreement. I came to agreement that it was just wasn't it wasn't going to be productive for the church where the majority of the elders at, were at for me to remain there. But I say all of that to say that I am optimistic because I do see that there are a lot of churches out there. There are a lot of Christians out there that have woken up to this concept that if we sit on the sidelines and we buy into the myth of neutrality, it is Christ or chaos. So we see a crazy world, but I also think in some respects for Christians, we can see how disordered what we see in the world is and how dangerous it is and just how dark yeah. it is. And it becomes more obvious to us, wow, it is an incredible blessing if we can share the gospel and bring the truth of scripture to the world. And blessing comes from that. The blessing that we've experienced in this nation when we've had that blessing has come from um, you know, the Christian worldview and what that brings. So I am optimistic in that regard. I see a lot of younger guys coming up that are understanding and that are going through this. I mean, even just the idea that there are Christians that are willing to take a stand when it comes to abortion, um, to understand what the abolition position is, understand Absolutely. what the abolition is, 
you know, and I see that. And the interesting thing is, you know, all of those guys, guys like Bradley Pierce, Jeff Durbin and others, you know, they were warning us before Roe versus Wade was overturned. Look, we need to, we're not even fighting the right battle, right? We need to be talking about life, the preservation of life and, and that God, you know, life begins at conception, um, fertilization, life begins at fertilization even, right? Let's, let's use terms precisely. And what's happened since Roe is all the excuses that were made about why we couldn't do abolition bills and other things. Um, they were right, right? That that's gone away. We're not even talking about the right thing. So I just see a lot of things happening that I'm that I'm optimistic about. Um, it absolutely concerns me when we look at some in the legal system that are just willing to ignore the Constitution. Um, however, I am I am ultimately optimistic, and I do believe that people are going to see a, a distinction. Once Christians are willing to engage in the culture and do it lovingly and do it well and doing it for the right reasons, um, there's incredible blessing in that. So we'll be attacked. There will be persecution, but also hearts and minds are going to change and come to Christ. So, man, yeah, that's great. How much uh, how much opportunity do you have to work with Bradley and those guys uh, towards the abolition? Are you are you focusing? I mean, because that's that's a big ministry there, too, as a lawyer. Um you know, I'm I'm on the board here in Missouri for uh, Abolish Abortion Missouri. Um, I also run their social media program, uh, and I've done mill ministry here. I'm really looking forward to jumping in uh, as this next uh, legis legislative legislative session opens up um, to get involved. And I know we have some bills that we're going to be putting putting forward. Are you getting a chance to do any of that? Or I mean, obviously that's kind of a separate side piece, but are you going to jump in uh, on any of that stuff? I I am. Um, we have had, so in abortion now, Jeff Durbin, Bradley, they came and did a, a big rally because we had a couple of years ago, we did have an abolition bill in Pennsylvania. Um, unfortunately, the representative that was sponsoring it has since backed out. Um, mm. There was tremendous pressure. So I've had conversations with some legislators about it. Um, and if we can get another bill in, if they can find someone who's willing to do it, then I'll do whatever I can. I mean, you know, fortunately, we live about 10 minutes from the capital um, of Harrisburg. So it's easy oh, for nice. me to do that. I haven't been intimately involved yet, but it's been hard to get traction in Pennsylvania. So I hope to. Um, that's something I hope to do. The, the biggest project that I, we have, in addition to our law firm, is we're working on a nonprofit called Stand With Warriors. So it, it came out of COVID. It was started by Jeff Durbin and the guys at Apologia. But that's um, sort of been been rebirthed out of what came out of COVID. So we now have a couple of Navy SEALs that are part of the board for Stand With Warriors. The vision for that is we're looking at something we call Operation 11, which will be small group evangelism and discipleship. And we're going to start with Navy SEALs. We're going to use former Navy SEALs to get inroads into the community. Those guys nice. are going to do, um, you know, evangelism and small group discipleship there. And our long-term vision with Stand With Warriors is not just a nonprofit that helps raise money so that military members that are taking a stand for religious freedom and against, you know, everything that's happening with the woke agenda in the military. We want to take it a step further. We want to be in a place where we can actually have a membership-based organization, a lot like what Bradley does with Heritage Defense. We want to develop that for military members. So the goal would be in the future We'll have military leaders that are members of our organization and we'll do you know, monthly training with them, discipleship and legal guidance. And the whole idea is rather than being on the defense like we were with COVID, where we have to having to react very, very quickly, we'll already be on the offense and we'll be able to have these members that are ready to take a stand. They'll know how to do it well so that they can honor God, but also be in the best legal position 
to yeah. win in court later as we go through this. So even though we don't have a membership based program up and running yet, we already have clients. So we have like um, their government departments that already have implemented um, pronoun tyranny policies. Oh, right. right. So, yeah, uh, sure. There are elements of the federal government that have already implemented a policy that says if you refer to someone by the wrong pronoun, whatever they identify as that day, and they even say things like gender is fluid, but whatever they identify as that day, if you refer to them the wrong thing, you're discriminating against them, you're violating their rights, and you will be subject to punishment under equal employment, you know, equal opportunity employment programs and things like that. So wow. we already have clients that are going through the process of pushing back on that and saying, hey, we have a religious objection to this. And you know, it's funny, you would think, we think it would be obvious, hey, the world gets this. They understand this. They don't, you know. So we we have a lot of issues like that going on. We have um, clients that we're working with in other areas, for example. And I can't get into too many of the specifics, but just say hypothetically, you're a pharmacist, right? You're a pharmacist. You work for the federal government, and uh, someone comes to you, and they're a female, and they're they think they're now want to be referred to as he, and they want you to fill a prescription for testosterone. Well, most Christians would say. I, as a pharmacist, I'm not comfortable doing that, right? This is this is not healthy. This is not good. This is not honoring God. So I'm not going to be able to fill that prescription. So um, those are the kinds of things we're seeing. They're becoming more broad throughout the military as well as throughout the federal government that we need to carefully address and, and work through legally. But what's fascinating is so many people in the world are not used to Christians taking public stands yes. like that. They're not yes. even used to them un understanding like, oh, what? You know, so even with with the COVID vaccine, you know, I had people say to me that we're not Christians. Well, you have 19, 19 and a half years of service. You're really going to give up uh, reserve retirement over over not getting a shot. And I'm like, yeah, this is just I, I feel convicted. This is what God has called me to do. This is the stand he's called me to take. Um, and they were just amazed by that. But it was an interesting opportunity to share the gospel. So that's, I think, part of the reason why I get so optimistic about this is, when Christians do this well, we do this right. Uh, we do this with love because we actually care about people and we understand the deadly consequences of sin, you know, the eternal death that comes with sin. Um, I see um, tremendous opportunities to be excited and it does change um, a lot of people. And I saw, I saw tremendous amounts of military members uh, either come to Christ or strengthen their relationship with Christ through the COVID mandate and what they had to go through because it was so difficult and challenging. And they had to look themselves in the mirror, open up their Bibles and pray and say, am I willing to take this stand? And many, many were. Yeah. And I don't know, you might've already answered this for me, but uh, were you able to keep your retirement? Did you, didn't, uh, did you? Yeah. So I was, but, but this is, this is how God works, right? So I, you know, I'm in the middle of this fight for myself and for, for all these other individuals. And I was working yeah. as a reservist um, in the Air Force and I filed my religious accommodation. It was denied. Then there was an appeal process. So I appealed wow. my religious accommodation. It was denied. And quite frankly, I knew they were all being denied. All of these religious accommodations were being denied. Even the inspector general for the Department of Defense made a finding that they were just, you know, they were just pushing the paper through. They weren't doing what was required under the Constitution or the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to do this. But for me personally, my and again, as a military member, you just laugh at the irony of this. My religious accommodation appeal was denied, and I received notice that it was denied on the third of July. Right, so wow. <laughs> you know what a great way to celebrate uh, the the holiday weekend, right? right? Independence yeah. Day as a military member, 
19 and a half years of service. So I was in this place where I had my accommodation was denied. And so I was given an order. I had five days to get the vaccine. If I didn't, then I would be, you know, according to the Air Force, in violation of a lawful order and facing um, punishment under the UCMJ, facing reprimand, getting kicked out of the military. So that came down. I asked for an extension for, for five days because you could. My, my leadership gave me that. So I had 10 days to make this decision. My mind was already made up, but I wanted the 10 days to pray through it to make sure we were there. Um, and then what happened for me was there was a there was a Thursday or Friday after the 10 days had gone by. The 10 days was up on like a Friday. And so it was a week for them to get the paperwork together. So I knew I was going to get my reprimand and then my my notice of separation from the active reserves on Thursday or Friday. So I was waiting Thursday or Friday on Wednesday night, Wednesday evening, a federal court in Ohio in the Doster case issued an injunction that prevented the Air Force from taking any adverse wow. action against military <laughs> members. So that came wow. down That came down on Wednesday night. You know, notice was sent out about uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time, and I was fully expecting to receive my, my reprimand either the next right. day or the following day. So for me, um, that injunction in that case is what um, allowed me to, to finish the, set, the, the last six months of my time as a reservist, um, have a good year, and then retire. Uh, from the reserves with 20 years of service. Man, that is unbelievable. What a what a way that God works. Uh <laughs> just seems like such a just a blessing for obedience, you know, and and trusting in him to uh to really let him let him be our provider, let him be our defender. Uh you know, that's the best I mean, that's the best part of being a Christian lawyer is you you have you have a backup that other people don't have like you have the Lord fights our battles. You know, he, uh, he truly is, uh, a defender of the, uh, of the weak and the, those that, uh, can't take care of themselves. And, and you're, you know, as an extension of his love for justice and righteousness, you get to play such a role in that. Uh, man, that's incredible. I, uh, so I, I retired my, my ceremony was November of 2019. I was uh, out in Bremerton, Washington, and um, I, uh, you know, there was not even a conversation about, you know, COVID until really like right around the time that I, we left the state, we came out to Missouri because we were planning to move here uh, to be closer to my wife's family. And uh, within a few months, you know, they, they started kind of talking about COVID and, and all of that. And uh, boy, I tell you, um, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have to face the mandates because I was already retired. Uh, I was already approved and the process was was up. I know that that's the Lord sparing me from having to go through what you went through, what so many of our other service members have gone through, uh, because I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I've got uh, brothers that are still in that are really suffering through I mean, the the fact that retention is down, the fact that uh, I mean, they're they're pulling double duty just to make ends meet, uh, as, a you know, uh, in their, in their departments and their divisions on ships. I mean, it's the, the manning is a, it's a crisis. It's a problem. Um, and then how do you, you know, how do you trust? I think that's the biggest thing too, is how do you trust now this, the system that you volunteered to defend, you volunteered to, to lay down your life, uh, for whatever they would call you to do. And I'm, I was very similar to you. Like, if they told me to get a vaccine for something uh, in in my early years, 
I never thought anything of it. I, I wouldn't have uh, batted an eye. I would have just been like, all right, well, I need to do this. And um, so God lined up all of those cards for me. Uh, but man, I, uh, I just think, man, I really believe that you're like, when I say you're doing kingdom building work, I, I truly believe uh, you are doing God's work. You are, um, man, just, you are what people need because I didn't know that people like you even existed when I was in the service. If I had known, you know, there, there were lots of times where I felt, you know, uncomfortable being in a certain situation, but because, you know, I wanted to get my retirement, my pension, I dealt with it. I sucked it up and moved on and, you know, head down and, and move forward. Um, I, more people, I, I mean, it's probably, it's probably a purposeful thing. I'm sure the military doesn't typically let people know that you do what you do. Um, how have been, uh, so in, I know in the special forces, there's a lot of, there are actually a surprising number of believers that are in the special operations, uh, units in the, the military. What are, what's your been experience, your experience there, uh, with representing can, you know, obviously not without giving details, but can you share some of your successful cases with us? What have, what have you been doing lately? Uh, what are some more like really cool moments that you've had when it comes to representing some of these guys and girls? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot to talk about. I've, you know, I've been blessed to do this for a long time. There's, there's a couple of things I will say that will stand out what, what's interesting for me. And I know you experienced this getting out in 2019. Um, you experienced some of this, but one of, one of the things that I saw even before COVID hit was just weird issues started coming up within the military about how we're going to handle certain things. And then you had January 6th, right? So you already have, but January 6th happened and everything we did in the military took a, took a backdoor to extremism, anti-extremism down days and, and all of this yeah. diversity, equity and inclusion stuff started coming in. So I just share that to say like, that was eye-opening to me, even, even as we're going into COVID because you know, people don't even want to believe the stories that I can tell you, but but specifically with the anti-extremism training, there's two things that stand out. One was I myself was in uniform serving as a reservist at an Air Force base. I had to do this mandatory training and you're being told things in this training as a military member, like you might be an extremist, right? It's not a redneck joke. It's like you might be an extremist <laughs> if you believe in an ideology so firmly that you would risk your life. For that ideology, now, like being now, in the military, like, being, like literally, I'm looking around the room at these other military officers and these other people, and I'm going, well, So, we're the extremists, the ones that were serious about our oath, the ones that are willing to deploy, that are willing, if we're called to do that, to do, do what it takes to, to fulfill that oath. You're calling us extremists, and I'm just, you know, I'm holding my head in my hands, going, What are we doing here? Like, what, what does this even mean? What's happening, you know, and then taking a step forward. And then, you know, we have training being done in the military right now. And, and I've had whistleblowers provide me this information. I've had training being done where the Air Force, the Air Force is presenting training about sexual assault in the military and saying, okay, here are risk factors. Here are risk factors for someone. Here's, basically, here's how to identify a predator, right? But here are the risk factors you should look for for someone who is most likely to commit sexual assault in the military. You ready? Yes. Number one. Someone who holds traditional values about marriage and human sexuality. 
That's I, I'm wild, dude. I'm not, I'm not kidding, right? So, so I say all that to say, how, how could it not be rewarding to be able to have an opportunity to wow. to practice law in that environment? Because so many people are waking up. So, you know, one one story I can share details is on is during the during COVID during during that mandate. One of the, there were two primary issues military members were dealing with. The first was whether or not the military actually had available to it an FDA approved vaccine. Okay, so this was a big issue. A lot of people didn't understand it. I didn't understand it at first, to be honest. But what happened was there was an emergency use authorization that was issued for Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson. Right. And so we all Mm -hmm. we all understood that what was not produced and made available to military members while the mandate was in place was the actual FDA approved formula. So everybody came out and said, hey, the FDA approved the covid vaccine. No, they approved a specific formula that was not manufactured. It wasn't produced in the United States. Wow. Violation of federal law. Congress passed a law in the 90s. It makes it a violation to mandate a military member to take an experimental or emergency use medical product of any type. You can't do that. Congress was saying, you need to stop experimenting on military members. So there was this unanswered, unresolved question of whether or not it was even a lawful order, regardless of whether or not you filed a religious accommodation or medical exemption or anything else. So one of the things I had the opportunity to do was represent a Navy Lieutenant. Billy Mosley was his name. He's one of the first officers in the Navy to go to an administrative separation board where they're planning on kicking him out of the military with an under other than audible conditions discharge um, for violating an order. He refused an order to get the vaccine. They're saying he violated an order. He didn't file a religious accommodation. He said, Davis, I want to challenge this on the basis it's an unlawful order. So we went into a board in San Diego, Navy board. We had a Navy captain, two 05s, two commanders sitting there. We presented them everything. We demonstrated everything about why we believe there was not an FDA approved product. And the captain, this Navy captain set forward in this board and he looked at the government prosecutor and he's like, okay, show me where, show me, prove to me there's an FDA approved vaccine available. Show me where that is. And they couldn't. Wow. And so they, they found that he didn't violate a lawful order by refusing to get the vaccine and they retained him and he's still serving wow. um, in the United States Navy. So especially during COVID, that's one of the most you know, rewarding cases um, that I've ever had an opportunity to be a part of. Um, and there's certainly been others, but that's one that was just uh, amazing. So that um, as I, you know, as I move forward, there's a lot of things that happen in the military, unfortunately, that, um, the American public never gets to see and doesn't really understand. And again, I'm sure you experienced some of this, but the military has become very political, you know, and even in my just 20 years of service, I can see just this huge shift. Yes. Um, whether it was during the Trump administration general Milley and others, it just became, you know, all, all politics just became a huge part of this. And people are starting to see, wow, some of these general officers, some of these flag officers are in that position because they're good politicians, not because of their combat experience, not because they've demonstrated an ability to lead well, but because they're good politicians. Not all, but there's a lot of problems there. Um, and so what you see then is you see the military, military commanders at a lot of levels and others are taking cases to trial. They're, they're charging people. They're taking cases to court martial that should never be there. But yeah. because of political pressure or other things, um, not the evidence, not the law, not the facts of the case, but because of political pressure, they're going forward. So military members, unfortunately, are having to fight. The, the the blessing in that, from my perspective, is military court martial panels, military jurors, even this board at Fort Carson here today 
um, there's still just a majority of these officers and senior enlisted that I get to work with that want to do the right thing, that want to uphold Good. the Constitution, that want to do the right thing, and will set politics aside and do that. I mean, that's what happened in the Navy board. I'm sure there was tremendous fallout for that Navy captain and those others that sat on there and did the right thing. But but the reality is, despite that political pressure, you still have a lot of people in the military that are willing to consider a case, look at the law, and reach a right conclusion. So I see that over and over again, and I'm incredibly impressed with military juries, you know, court martial panels, as well as boards, yeah. um, which is encouraging. That's good. Let me ask you something, because I, you know, my experience, uh, I was in, uh, I think it sounds like you were in too around the same time, uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. Um, you know, prior to that, uh, I had a few shipmates that got kicked out for being gay. Like it was a very interesting thing. Then Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. And then it kind of, it seemed like everything kind of ev like evened out a little while from probably 2005 to oh, 2015, 2016 ish. Uh, but like now being out, uh, it is like, where did all of these transgender folks come from in the military? Like, did they, what, what it seems to me that they just showed up one day. Uh, I, I had maybe interaction with one towards the end of my career in 2018, 2019. Uh, but now you look at it and it's, you've got like all of these high level officers, these officials that are, uh, I mean, even our, you know, um, the, the Rachel, whatever, Richard Levine, that goes by Rachel um, being a, you know, the health, uh, whatever he is. I mean, did you notice that too? Did you notice that there seemed to be like a surge of folks that all of a sudden just came out as transitioning? So yes, um, that's absolutely true, right? So so I would say I had almost an identical experience when I when I first came in. Yeah, don't ask, don't tell. Don't ask, don't tell went away, and it really wasn't a huge like impact that I saw on a daily, regular basis, right? It just right. didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. Um, and then move forward to you know the last couple of years uh, of my career. And, you know, part of it is, is simply this, other than policies that the Trump administration tried to implement, as it stands right now, and it just, I have a hard time even expressing this because it seems insane. But as it stands right now, if you are someone who thinks they might be transgender and you want to have an opportunity to have the United States government pay for every dollar of, of your transitioning, for all the hormones, for anything else you need for the rest of your life related to that, guess what you can do? Join the United States military. There's your recruiting commercial, right? So I think that's part of the reason, unfortunately, why you have more of it in the military right now, because the policy is we're going to pay for it. Now, just again, think about that for a second. We kicked people out. We kicked out thousands of people over the COVID vaccine, which was not effective, right? It proved to not be effective, didn't prevent infection, didn't prevent the spread. People had natural immunity, had a better opportunity of either not getting it at all or having, a, you know, not a very intense case of COVID um, throughout right. this process. And, and it was readiness. It's military readiness. We have to have people that are ready to go. That's why we're mandating this. At the same time, they're approving transgender surgeries for someone that's going to cost the United States government, the United States military, money that should be going for bullets, ammunition, training, ships. You have that paying for transgender surgeries, 250000 300000 $500,000 worth of surgery, Wild. 
and medication. And that person that's going through that surgery, these are experimental surgeries for the most part, they have devastating consequences, high infection risk and all of that. You and I both know that individual, if they actually go through with the surgery, is it's going to be non-deployable potentially for a very long period of time, potentially for years. And yet yeah. we're paying for that in the United States and the United States military. So why is there more of it in the military now? I mean, I think it's an economic issue where we're the, the taxpayers are paying for it. And that's what we're recruiting. I mean, let, let's be honest. Uh, yeah. There's been plenty of stories out there where that seems to be what the military is recruiting. So is there a recruiting crisis? Is there a retention issue? Yes. Um, is the Department of Defense identifying any of the reasons why? No, I don't think they're willing to. Man. So uh, I guess that kind of leads a little bit into this last question I'll ask you. Uh, so you brought up pronoun usage and these requirements that our service members are kind of being forced to have to, to go through. Um, have you have you been able to defend a case yet uh, where someone has been disciplined for not using pronouns? Or do you think um, this is going to be the next big thing going to happen in the military? So I, I think right now, so Health and Human Services, the Department of Health and Human Services, which is run by Admiral Richard, also known as Rachel Levine, right? The, the man that we call the first female admiral, admiral in United States military history, which is you know laughable in itself. Anyway, yes. HHS is the first department that has pushed out um, this level of I would call it a somewhat tyrannical pronoun usage policy. So it shouldn't surprise us at all that that's who's pushing it out. That's the department that's pushing it out. So I think in part what's happening with HHS is a test case. In other words, I think mm. they're rolling it out with HHS to see how people react to it. Do people actually refuse to comply? Do they have a lot of cases where they have to deal with this? Do people submit religious accommodations asking for an exception to this policy? Um, I think that that's what's happening right now. So this is the next battle. I am hoping with some of the clients we have with HHS and other things that there will be successful pushback on it and they won't try to do it. But I do think that is going to be one of the next fights. But what we're going to see and what Christians all need to be praying about is we are really, truly seeing two religions crashing, clashing yes. together. Right. We're seeing the Christian Orthodox Christian faith and understanding of what it means to be a Christian and to have a godly biblical view of human sexuality is coming into direct conflict with the, you know, the sexual, the sexuality cult, the transgender quote yeah. cult that's there, right? That's, you know, it's people worshiping man and worshiping sex and all those things. So you're really seeing two religious beliefs clash and what's happening then culturally, what's ultimately going to happen in, in courts, government, and military is there's going to be a question of, it's not whether or not there's going to be religious freedom. It's going to be a question of which, you know, which spiritual warfare, which religion is going to prevail. And really, then as a society, where are we going to go? Are we going to fall into pagan ritual worship, child sacrifice through abortion, uh, you know, worshiping the human body through trans transgenderism and all these things? Are we going to turn to Christ? So that's really where we're at as yeah, far really as is. these issues. And that's what we're battling in society as well. Yeah, I, I can't even fathom like getting a religious accommodation towards pronoun usage. I mean, what a what a way I mean, it's not even it's not even logical like on a practical level, you're telling me like some some people will have to use pronouns, but then like some people won't have to because they're religiously accommodated. Like how 
confusing on a daily basis that would be for everyone involved in that. Like it, it, you talk about readiness. Uh, these are things that we should not be even breaching uh, in our military. These are things that they should, uh, they're distractions. Uh, they are going to weaken our ability to defend our nation. Um, the plus side of that is, is I know so many people that whether they're in the military or not, if it were a matter of uh, having to to defend our land, uh, it doesn't matter if they're going to be in the you know active duty or not. We have lots of great, you know, essentially patriotic men and women in this country that uh, uh, even when our our military falls, I, I just have a lot of uh, of confidence in. Uh, those who love this land and love the religious freedom that they have and 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 really honor God. and 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 ultimately, you know, I, I think you probably would agree with me. I think we are under judgment. I think uh, we have we have let uh, we have let darkness become uh, very prevalent in our culture, and we haven't stood up against it. And uh, we've had some very easy generations and years where we haven't had to fight uh, or stand up for the truth. And um, now it's crept in and we're under judgment. The Lord is, I think, using this to get our attention to, um, you know, even if if he doesn't do it this way and, and, and our nation as we know it ends up falling, uh, the Lord is still actively doing something. Uh, and we can all have confidence as a believer that even if the military and the government you know, goes that way. The Lord is going to uh, preserve His people. So, um, and I, I think that that's you know that's that's where you are. That's you're in you're fighting that battle in a in a way that is kind of the front lines. I think it's like a pre-war that you're fighting uh, <laughs> on the legal front. Um, right. And uh, you know, hopefully, it turns around, man. I mean, honestly, it would be great. I hate to say that you getting out, you know, having less work to do towards the military. Uh, would be, uh, I mean, that probably would end up being a good thing. It would mean that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a blessing and we could turn to other other fights like abolition. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah, brother. I, I tell you, that's, uh, as I'm getting my feet wet here with the uh, abolition movement, um, that we have a, a real need for it. But there are more and more people, as, I, as you've said before, you know, are waking up. I think more and more people are waking up towards pro-life doesn't work. The pro-life position, uh, if if anything, is opposed to the abolition position, um, and and as a whole, at least in the the bureaucracy of it, I know I know there's a lot of pro-lifers that would that would really want to see abortion done away with. But um, yeah, bro, I think uh, I think you know God is good, and He's always going to do right, no matter uh, the the circumstances around us. He's He's not waking up to find out that this is going on. He's he's well aware. So um, I'll give you the floor for the last couple of minutes. If there's anything that you want to talk about, if you want to put your info out there for people to be able to reach you, if somebody from the military sees this and is like, hey, I'm having a problem, uh, is, do you have a website or a way for people to reach you? Yeah, great. I appreciate that. It's a lot of fun to be on here. Great to talk to you. Thank you for, for your service and everything you're doing. Thanks, bro. That's awesome. So, yeah, we, we have a website. My website is just uh, Yance, my last name, Y-O-U-N-T-S, law, yauncelaw.com. Um, I am fairly active on Twitter, at Davis Yance on Twitter. Um, the, big, the other thing I would like to just draw people's attention to is there's a, there's a new news media outlet called the Republic Sentinel. Um, the Republic oh, yeah. Sentinel 
It's Ben Zeisloft and those guys. They put together a documentary called Seals Beat Biden. So Seals, as in Navy Seals, beat Biden. It's available for free. The first episode is going to be a three-part documentary. The first episode uh, is available for free at sealsbeatbiden.com. Just put in your email, you can do it. That's a project I worked on with them. It tells a story uh, in particular of one Navy SEAL, an Air Force uh, female pilot, a Coast Guard admiral. But it's a great way to kind of learn a little bit more about the story. It's a great product that they put out. So I'd encourage anybody to go see that. Uh, again, it's available for free. They just want to try to tell that story. But sealsbeatbiden.com and follow me on, on Twitter, on Instagram. It's the same same handle. And just pray for myself, my family. We, Amen. This, this summer, we brought on another attorney who left active duty Army because of all these concerns as a senior prosecutor. He started working with me um, as well now. So um, anything we can do to help folks, we're, we're looking to do that. And Stand With Warriors is standwithwarriors.com. Be praying for that ministry as we move forward with that as well. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I need to watch that Seals Beat Biden. That's something I, I need to put on my list of things to do. Uh, well, appreciate it, brother. Um, guys, thanks for joining us to to watch. And if you need to reach out, reach out. And uh, Davis is absolutely active on Twitter. That's actually how I was able to get a hold of him and, and bring him onto the show. Uh, so uh, please do that. And uh, if anything, pray for what Davis is doing, because it is a ministry. Um, it is it's a, it's a ministry we are we are actively in a ministry at all times uh in our lives uh as we serve the lord and uh we thank you brother uh stick around for just a couple seconds i'll end this uh recording and uh we can chat afterwards uh that'll do it for episode 49 of the doctrines of rad guys i'm drew and uh for logan who's not here but he'll be back soon uh have a good night